2: Hello, good morning, good afternoon, guten tag Welcome to today's episode of the Rotor Report podcast It's Gav, back again in the host chair Which is a bit weird, because two regular hosts are actually amongst me yesterday I've got Alex McCain, how are we doing?
3: I'm not too bad Gavin, thank you very much for having me back
2: Lovely Craig, how are we doing? Very good Good man, and Tom in the States, how's the weather? Red hot I wish I could say the same as pissed down for days, yeah? Anyways, we're back today to talk about Sunderland, that's right, that's why you're here, to to listen to us a lot talk about the club we all love to hate. And it's been an interesting couple of weeks, really, since we last spoke. Things are quite interesting at the minute in terms of there's actual football to talk about. Three weeks till the season starts. Things are ramping up, I guess, for Phil Partinson, Sunderland, as they're heading into the third week of pre-season training. Or is it the fourth? Not too sure. Anyways, Tom, I'm going to start with you. Has your mentality changed now that some sense of normality's returned to the club? Like me, I'm a bit I went like three, four months in lockdown, not really caring about sunning, but now things are starting to come together a little bit. I'm actually interested. How are you feeling about things are going?
1: Yeah, I actually wrote a little bit about this today. Short article published on the site. Maybe I'm a little bit different, obviously being in an exile and seeing everything from afar anyway, which you know everybody back home in the northeast' experiencing in their own way now. But yeah, I'm definitely feeling sort of a tinge of excitement. It's like a blind faith, eternal optimism kind of vibe maybe. But I feel like this every year, regardless of what's going on, you know, whether it was Mick Mack going up with that absolute patchwork squad or David Moyes or whoever it was, I've always got this like clean slate approach to a new season where there's a, an element of blind faith and I'm just excited to see what could happen. There's definitely some... Niggling questions in the back of my mind that are just you know lingering there about whether the recruitment's good enough and whether the tactics are good enough and whether Parkinson is is the right man. But right now I'm I'm excited about what lies ahead and whether the lads can pull together and finally get us out of the third tier of English football at the third time of asking.
2: What about you, Alex? Are you are you sharing that sort of optimism or are you still depressed that what owned by Stuart Donald? I mean, what's what's going in your mind when it comes to Sunland?
3: I'll be perfectly honest, Gav. I don't really know where I'm at with it right now because I feel like, as is the nature of what COVID's done with everyone's daily routines and everyone's sense of time and perception of how events are sort of unfolding, I don't really know how I should feel at this current time because, as you say, we've got three weeks until the season starts. Pre-season's been virtually non-existent. Transfers have been quite scarce for us so far. We haven't seen Sunderland play a game of football or kick a ball since March. When they were on bad form when they finished off anyway it's just really strange i am looking forward to it because of course i am when a season starts and you're a football fan wherever your club are whoever they are you're gonna be looking forward to it but it just all feels like a bit strange like sort of time suddenly moving very fast when it wasn't moving particularly fast in lockdown when all the football was off i don't really know i think just my sense of pace of events happening is just kind of off no doubt when the season comes around it'll all feel very normal again mm. somehow but for now it's just kind of i don't really know what's going to happen i mean the next three weeks it doesn't feel like a time when we're going to allegedly make the signings we need to make i mean obviously we'll get to that but i don't know maybe i'm concerned about us not making enough signings so far compared to our alleged competitors maybe it's just the fact that this pre is a very unconventional pre-season but i just don't know how i feel about it i'm, mm. I'm
2: quite up in the air what about you, Craig? Obviously you wrote a report, social media, man. I've actually tried to disengage a little bit from social media, so maybe I'm not feeling the tempo, but what's the sort of feeling you're getting from the fans, I guess, when you're checking our timeline and seeing what people are posting about? Do you think people are sharing that optimism or not?
4: I think it's quite mixed at the moment. One thing that I am finding is the common replies trendy tweets and things like that that we put out is, like, it doesn't really seem that real at the moment. I know we are a couple of weeks away. But there's still that kind of sense of we still don't know what's to come. We still don't know about any particular arrangements if people are allowed in the grounds or anything like that. So I think for the season, beginning with people potentially not able to watch Sunderland, maybe those who even live, say, a few minutes away from the ground, it's it's going to be a completely different experience. I mean, this the summer and, and obviously the break of football hasn't really been that kind to us. We've had so many different distractions going on in the background obviously with the ownership you know kind of uncertainties and then we've had departures so I think at the present moment everybody has a bit of excitement of course that Sunderland are coming back that is everybody's interest but I think also there is a little bit of trepidation in there as well because as Alex rightly said we just don't have a clue what is to come obviously we know that they've been back in pre-season now for a couple of weeks but you know, whilst other teams are at least say two to three games in their preseason schedule, it doesn't look like we've actually played any competitive games as of yet against anyone apart from, maybe um, like you know mixed eleven games. So, it's an interesting one. I think obviously as uh, the next few weeks gathers pace, I think. Maybe the the excitement or at least the intensity of things might hoten up a little bit, but um, I think obviously as we stand now, you know, from my own perspective, one thing I'm, you know, taking into consideration is the side have had a really extensive long break now, if you think the last time we played was the middle of March, so they've all had plenty of chance to, you know, to rest, recuperate, everybody at least looks like they've come back. Without, say, any injuries, everybody looks, you know, sort of full of enthusiasm and everybody looks certainly, you know, kind of ready to go for it. So at least from, from that, I'm pretty confident that everybody that we've at least got at the moment, excluding any new signings to come, they're ready for the task at hand. But it is going to be a massive season, of course, because, I mean, as we alluded to a few weeks back, we can't really afford for any mistakes this time round. We've got to get off to a good run. We've got to get off to a good start. And it's crucial that Phil Parkinson's got the tools at his disposal.
2: Yeah, I guess the thing with this pre-season, as opposed to others, is that pretty much every League One club are starting on the same sort of page, aren't there? There's, we've all had a pretty massive break from football. Nobody really has their squads in place because the championship season's just finished and clubs are waiting for players to become available. And we've obviously had the, the whole thing with the salary cut, which we will get onto, we'll get onto all of this as as the show goes on. But I guess, for me, it means that... I believe that we start in a little bit of a stronger position than some clubs, not not everybody, but I just think our squad as a base is, is a lot stronger than most teams in this league. And I'm saying like, I think it was Ipswich have signed a couple of players, but I'm not really impressed by their business. And it's just like, well, have we actually already got the basis of a decent team that just needs things? I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but season's round the corner. Anyways, speaking of social media, we polled our Twitter followers in the build-up to this particular show because we thought we'd have a little question and answer session and, gauge some people's thoughts on topics to talk about and speaking of new season optimism a guy called sefc no1ne and charlton underscore comedy both raise the subject of will grigg he's somebody who from the limited footage we've seen in the photos and stuff he looks in the sort of shape he was in when wigan were doing well i mean i'm not saying he was completely out of shape when he first came to Sunland, but he does look trim he looks he looks a lot fitter and leaner and lockdown's been kind to him it would seem he's lost a little bit of weight to either you know, try and have another go of it or earn himself a move elsewhere, which obviously, after the salary cap announcement, seems very unlikely unless a Championship club fancies taking a gamble. So, uh, will Grigg then, Tom, do you see him getting another shot under party or, or what? Because he's probably the one player in this squad I really can't put my finger on what's
1: going to happen with him. I think it's a tough one for Grigg because I feel sorry for him in a way because I don't think we've played a brand of football that suits the attributes that make Will Grigg a, or have made Will Grigg a successful footballer in the past. At, at Wigan, he's always relied on having somebody in and around him that's either kind of let him play on the shoulder and, and give him a kind of a through ball to run onto or somebody who's kind of done the dirty work in and around the box and, and let him be sort of the, the poacher, so to speak. And really, we played him as like an isolated forward and it, he's just never played as that before. And, you know, he's not hes not big and strong and, and powerful to mix it up with League One defenders. And he's not rapid to play by himself and really stretch defences. And he's not really skillful and technical enough to play as almost like a false nine and bring the likes of Gooch and Maguire into the team. He really is just like an out-and-out, in-and-around-the-18-yard box finisher. And we could do with someone like that in the team but I think we'd really have to adapt the way that we played as a side to incorporate him into our starting eleven. And um, I think one thing, and there's been a couple of articles exploring this on the site recently, and they've been dead interesting. And and I just wonder whether, you know, Parkinson, when he came into the team, his his number one goal was to tighten up a really leaky defence. And the way he did that was by deploying three central defenders and two wing-backs. And I just wonder now, with the fact that he signed Bailey Wright, who was his number one target and who he clearly sees as the the leader and the the centre of Sunderland's defence. I wonder if he now, with a summer of training and and implementing his style and his philosophies on this team, if he maybe is a little bit more confident in moving away from three central defenders and might be sort of comfortable enough to actually just go with two. And if that's the case, then maybe he could kind of actually push uh, a play a little bit further forward and play with someone like Grigg. And I think, you know, for me, Elliot Embleton or Chris Maguire in a 10 role might actually give Sunderland an entirely new option we haven't had in a while. And I guess you could also add the, the new sign in O'Brien, that category as well. Mm. But it gives Sunderland an option that we haven't had before, which is somebody who can sit in between the attack and the midfield, play between the lines of the opposition, pick the ball, and then... Turn, move, draw players out of their position, and that's what greg likes: is is that uncertainty and to move into that space and to be given the opportunity to to get into position and and have a shot. And I just wonder if, like you say, it it does feel like there's been a little bit of a change this summer that he does look sharp. And I know there's been some rumours swirling around that maybe he's purchased uh, some property up in the northeast and that he might have a little bit of a home base up here now. And I I will be dead interested to see what happens because whether it's at Sunderland or somewhere else, he's got goals in him. It's just about mm. getting the best out of him and I'd be dead interested to see if Phil Parkinson can do that. Yeah. Craig, would you go along that line and
2: say maybe that we need to build a team around Will Because obviously for me it's a good point what Tom makes there, actually Embleton's coming into the squad. But O'Brien's been signed and everything we've seen we've heard about him is indicates he wants to play centre forward, so I mean, we have to really draw a line in the sand with us, I guess. Do we build a team around Will Grigg or is he just a bit part player again? Well,
4: I mean, that is a really, really tricky question, I suppose, at the moment because... In terms of obviously, since Phil Parkinson's arrival, he has found opportunities incredibly hard to come by, and we still really don't know the underlying reason for that because we made such a big investment into him and then not even to get on the bench for the best part of what, say, two, two and a half, three months, something like that. He found himself just completely phased out, and there was never really an explanation of as, as to why that had happened. So, I think if all of a sudden he was to come in and be the number one man up front. It would be a complete sort of contrast to what we've seen from Phil Parkinson's style so far. I still personally believe that he will begin the season with Charlie Wake as his number one man. But I mean, as I've just mentioned there about the investment, we have blown an awful lot of money on Will Greg, And that's obviously through no fault of his own, as we've seen on the Netflix documentary. But it's such an investment now that we're going to have to try and churn something out of it because he has, what, two years left on his deal? So we're in a position now, if it's the case that we can't get anything from him, this particular season we're just going to go down the Aidan McGeady route where we're just going to loan him out and we are going to be covering an awful lot of his wages and we're not in a position to to do that so I'd certainly like to see him back involved as it's been mentioned he does look in much better condition than we have seen him in terms of uh, through the videos and things like that we've seen uh, that's been put out by the official club channels he looks like he's you know at least enjoying himself a little more one of the biggest criticisms was that you know you never seen him smiling or look like he's enjoying himself and it looks like he's you know kind of back in at least well it looks like he's actually part of a team for a change rather than sort of an outsider but as to kind of going back to to whether we'll see him involved i think we will really need to change our entire approach really but Tom made a really good point about the idea of will we go from, say, three defenders down to two. I'd like to see that at least once from Phil Parkinson. I know, obviously, you know, as Tom mentioned that he came in, he changed the formation, he tried to shore up the defence. But referring back to maybe, say, the early days of, say, Jack Ross's time here... There was a good few games where he just set us up. Uh, we would go all guns blazing for maybe the first 25, 30 minutes. And we basically backed ourselves to go and score more times than the opposition did. If you look at, say, the Barnsley game at home, and I think Will Greg would thrive in that environment. So I'd like to see him involved. I think he will get chances, but I think he will still be somewhat down the pecking order. I think we will still start as, as Wyke being our number one man, but I, I think that's just pretty much based on what we've seen from Parkinson so far.
2: Yeah. Alex, do you have anything to add on Greg? I mean, there's a good point made there. Does he still see White as his number one choice with O'Brien coming in and Grig being in better shape? I mean, anything to add there?
3: Yeah, I think maybe the idea that he's looking for a number one striker, as in one striker, to really play and be the first choice for playing a singular striker... Is perhaps the fallacy in in Phil Parkinson's thinking, and that's something that's, that Craig and Tom have spoken about in a lot of depth. But one thing that I'd like to really expand on with that is the way that we played last season, and also I think the way that we saw Jack Ross set up as well, is that we would attack, but when we did attack, when we did sort of have that like mad half hour of just going all guns blazing, a lot of our attacks would, would be very similar in nature, and the, the sort of the way we would compose them would be more or less identical every time. And I think what we really did in the games where we did that is we just sort of hoped that we had more quality to just naturally be able to get past the opposition by being better than them pound for pound in terms of ability. I think what I'm really referring to is when we sort of attack from the wings because that's what Jack Ross did loads and that's what Parkinson has clearly preferred to do. Having the three defenders and the two wing backs means that you can have a wing back push forward and a defender on the... Corresponding side cover him. And that works when you can play from the wings, but the issue is that that's the only way we seem to play, and that was made especially apparent in the past few games when we started to get found out. When Fleetwood scored that early goal at home, then they knew they could sit back. And then if they sort of cut out the flanks and if they stopped us there, they effectively stopped us. And had it not have been for Max Power's last gasp winner, then they would have sort of proven their winning formula. But yeah, that, that's, that's sort of the problem I think I, I have at the moment is that when we do attack we are a bit one-dimensional and we seem to rely on just having the natural quality to get past teams. But someone like Ed McGeady could do that because for League One, he was just so good that he could he could beat someone every time. There was never any doubt that he could. But perhaps when he's not in the team and we're relying on players that are more of a League One calibre, one might need to have, say, a number 10 to push forward or another striker with a different sort of fundamental gameplay to Charlie Wyke just so that we have those other options, just so perhaps instead of squaring the ball out wide to Hume, we can sort of run it through the middle and have enough bodies there to orchestrate an attack. Just by having the option to go one way or the other, that will put teams in a position where they can't, they don't have a definite blueprint to stop Sutherland. And if that's the case then we should be able to get more goals and Ergo, if Will Grigg is playing, Will Grigg can be scoring. But I think that can't be the case if we are setting up the same way with, you know, playing down the wings, hoofing the ball to Charlie White, hoping White gets his head on it. You know, if if we try that every week and we have to play Grigg when White's injured uh, you know, I mean he's gonna get he's gonna get a grand total of zero goals because he just can't that's not his, his style. His style is a much more sort of unpredictable, much more mercurial attacking style of play, and that's one that we're gonna have to utilise, I think, if we're to get promoted, and yeah. indeed if we're to be able to use Greg to the best of his abilities.
2: My take for what it's worth is that regardless of the fact that Greg's got himself into shape, one we need options, but I I think we're only really having this conversation about him because he one costs so much, and two we all know deep down we're not going to get rid of them and we're in a in a situation where the deal's alright for us. It's gonna be either be a case of like Craig said, we're gonna end up paying a lot of wages or we're basically gonna to have to give them away, which doesn't really benefit Sullivan at all. So we're kind of stuck with them. But what I would say is that It's up to him, really, to work his way into the plans. I think we've signed Aidan O'Brien because he's come to start games. I know everybody keeps saying that Charlie Wyke might be first choice, but for me, O'Brien's dropped the league and come from a team where he was playing quite regularly for a long period of time. The fans of the club he's came from all believe he's a very good player. I mean, I don't believe for one minute he's come here to sit on the bench, and I think he sounds like the type of striker who can play in any system, which is really what we need, somebody who's a bit versatile. So, yeah, for me, Greg, stick around by all means. If he's got the fight to try and work his way back in, that's what I want to see. But I don't want to just say us hand opportunities to players who don't really want to be (laughs) here. We're kind of stuck with them at the minute. Anyways, we're going to move on to takeover talk because, obviously, since the last time we all convened, nothing has happened on the takeover front. There's been a lot of talk in the press about Bits and Bobs who might be buying the club, who could potentially be about to buy the club, People who should be completely discredited, and so on and so on. And we've been quizzed by our Twitter followers about all of this. Uh, Martin P. Jones, too, has asked. Pretty specifically about the the group which has been rumoured in the local newspapers. If the group involved in the exclusivity talks includes Juan Satori, as speculated, is this just reshuffling the cards we already have? If that's the case, does it take us forwards or backwards? So what he's talking about here, obviously, is the well-documented rumour that what the club plan to do is simply move some of Donald's shares, which he owns, to Juan Satori, and potentially another investor which Satori bring, may bring to the club in favour of just completely selling up, That they being Madrox. So, yeah, the, the question was, is this just reshuffling the cards we already have? Any thoughts on that in particular? Tom, I know you've wrote quite a bit about this on the site.
1: Yeah. Look, the ownership situation, we could talk until we're blue in the face about it. It doesn't really matter who the owner is, in my opinion. Obviously, it would be great if they came in and had the, the deep pockets that we need, and truthfully, they do need deep pockets to get us back to where we want to be. But the pressing concern in in the immediacy is the fact that we really need a plan, we need an identity, and we need somebody to actually have an analytical approach to problem solving. Because what feels like happened under Stuart Donald as he came in and did a great job of of getting the fans on side and, and believing in him and, and Charlie Methven and the fact that they had the the, the right intentions for the club. And, and they probably did, if truth be told, you know, they wanted success just as much as we did. But I think that the problem beyond that was there was no sort of long-term vision as far as we saw. And and what we did see, though, was a, a bunch of sort of short-term appointments primarily of people who you could argue really weren't fit to be appointed. And I mean, you know, none of those people are still at the club, which speaks for itself. And we're still in the the third tier of English football. And we didn't see any intelligent decisions made from the club. And I think the, the biggest one that hurts the most is recruitment because recruitment is what gets you out of the third tier of English football or gets you out of the championship and into the Premier League or gets you from the bottom rung of the Premier League into mid-table and so on and so forth. And We've been really poor at it and it just shows that throughout the club there really wasn't a culture of trying to be the best. There wasn't a culture of let's be intelligent in our plan and let's be intelligent in our thought process. The only area we really saw that was in our commercial endeavours where we recorded really impressive numbers with um, an additional £4 million of turnover that just wasn't there before. But equally, you've got to thank the fans for that because it's, it's us who put our hands in our pockets and, and paid for it. So my issue is, is more, look, if Sartori comes in and, you know, he's got the contacts who've got the pockets, but right now what Sunderland need is a plan. And the big plan we need to look at is... As a club, specifically recruitment-wise, how do we move forward? And I think if you look at anybody, and I wrote recently about Brentford, and I actually have an article going up from a group called Market Insights, who are like a a company who do uh, recruitment and scouting for a bunch of companies using data and analytical approaches. And they all argue, whether it's Brentford or this this, group group, Market insights. basically you need a plan the the manager or the director of football whoever it is at the club you need to know how this team wants to play football and once you know how the team's going to play football then you can start to fit players into the positions and understand where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are and Sunderland never adequately did that I don't think under Jack Ross like we just said you know we'd have daft 30 minute spells where we'd go all guns blazing And then we'd play totally different for the next 30 minutes. There was no continuity to our style. And I think that's been a massive problem of ours where there's been this kind of piecemeal, step by step, let's just keep going approach. Where really we needed to get really coy and and intelligent with our approach. And we really failed at that. So whoever comes in needs to go, right, what are we doing here? What is the approach that we're trying to adopt? How are we trying to get there? Recruitment is number one. Look, When we go to the championship, it doesn't matter who we've got, but we're going to have to sell players consistently for big money to actually survive as a business. The owner of Leeds, for example, I think he's uh, Rad- Radrazini, I'm going to butcher his name, he's worth something like $550 million. And he's come out and said, you know, like if Leeds were going to stay in the championship forever, they'd have to sell two or three players every year just to survive as a business. And Sunderland, unless they get some multi-billionaires going to come in and throw money around, we're going to have to be realistic. And to be realistic, we're going to have to have a plan. We're going to have to recruit intelligently using data and an analytical approach. And fans are going to have to be realistic and understand that moving forward, we're going to bring in young, ambitious players or players who maybe have gone under the radar as, as, as rough diamonds we're going to cultivate them we're going to help them develop and grow they're going to help us in the short term and then we're going to sell them and i think it, like i said it, it really i would like to have the perfect owner come in and everybody adore them but if they came in and they were pragmatic and they did what was right and they didn't blow smoke up anybody's ass and they were you know as open and as honest as they can be and they just got on and got the job done i'd be perfectly happy with that
2: hmm. alex i mean Tom's made some good points there, but ultimately I would I would say this to you. I mean, say Juan Satori takes a bigger share in the club and we don't get what a lot of people want, which is a complete change in ownership. Could you live with that if the plan changed and we started to see, like Tom's touched on, better recruitment. When I say better, I mean more intelligent approach to recruitment, a plan on the pitch, which, you know everything in the club works towards, could you live with that if that came under these owners but under a different sort of guise, I guess? Well,
3: yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, that would solve all my problems because the main reason that I'm unhappy with the current regime is because, as Tom highlighted there in extensive detail, there hasn't been a tangible, visible plan. So far, it has been just like a series of stop gaps. You know, the the impression I think we've all got is that the the powers that be have been winging it from day one, really. And the the evidence of the short termisms there for all to see. Sunderland have had two seasons now in League One from the start of Stuart Donaldson um, banner being flown, but. At no point have Sunderland fixed the old issue of establishing an identity that's been a consistent problem for you would say the easily the best part of the past decade, and it's still a problem now. I think when you look at a Sunderland side, if I asked any Sunderland fan, how does Sunderland play? How have we been playing? You know, what is that? What is our style been this past year, this past few years? What's the kind of infrastructure that has been set in place to get our team playing? They won't be able to tell you because you know a different manager is coming through the door seemingly every year and when they do that they play something entirely different sometimes they themselves in their own you know transient tenures will play styles that that vary quite a lot and you can't quite tell what they're doing jack ross was a victim of that parkinson has changed his style up uh, up every now and then and his game plans have only sort of recently came to the fold as soon as they stopped being effective so yeah, I think if let's say, sure, we we just all we were doing was shuffling our cards we already had, and you know now Satori was at the front and Donald was somewhere at the back, and maybe there were a couple of new investors in the frame, but no one who was going to give a substantial cash injection. I am not particularly bothered if I was told that we'll have the same the same sort of setup, the same people, but they now are trying to implement this kind of model. They are using this array of data analytics and they are trying to establish this kind of framework for the football club, which as Tom says would have you looking at, you know, young, ambitious up and coming footballers to perhaps age you on one, two, three year contract in the short term, which ultimately are parts of a whole that benefits the club in the long term, if that was the plan that the club had. I would be more than happy with that because it would give me and I'm sure many other fans the impression that the club was aiming to go somewhere, that it was striving for something greater than just sort of seeing if we can win the next game, seeing if we can get to the next little checkpoint. It's a bit like having a five-year plan, it's a thing along those lines. You know, like the idea is Sunderland is aiming to get back in the Premier League and these are the steps we are aiming to take. If the fans get an impression that that is what's in place then I think we'll all be sleeping a bit more comfortably at night knowing that the club's doing that and yeah there will be a sense of needing to sort of come to terms with the realism of our scenario i know again i don't i don't ever like to berate our fans because i think i think our fans get enough of a hard time from the the media already for things they don't deserve but one thing that we will have to say as a sort of brute fact is that we do have to be realistic and that sometimes isn't the case with our fan base i think sometimes we think that we should be battering teams every week that you know we don't need to be a selling club quote-unquote buys players and loses them to, you know, alleged smaller clubs in the division divisions above. But that is the reality of being a League One club. Some of the consequences of your club's stature, if it's in the third division, is that, you know, in the financial food chain, you may be selling your up-and-coming players for a profit... To say Preston or Brentford or Fulham. And that's just where we're at, you know, and that's the thing that you've just got to accept. Because the idea is that if you have that plan in place and you are bringing in sort of young players on, you know, either no fees or very small fees and ultimately selling them on for far more substantial fees, then you are ensuring that the club is growing financially and is moving in the right direction to ultimately surpass the teams you don't want us to sell to. So I suppose for the time being, you know, if it looks like we're selling to smaller clubs, then, you know, that's got to be taken on the chin because if there is a plan in place then it needs to be stuck to regardless of how it might make you feel egotistically in the short term hmm. but again that's all hypothetical because we don't even know if that's ever going to be a thing that the current owners are going to do
2: so yeah hmm. Craig what's a realistic end game with the ownership situation here I mean we aren't seeing a, a flurry of credible bid has come forward it appears that the club have kind of accepted that and are trying to find another way around it without selling the club straight away. I mean, we were very vocal collectively as a fan base. I, I, polls did back this up, the the Red White Army survey, the Southern Echo survey, both backed up the decision made by the fan groups to come together and ask for Stuart Donald to sell the club. He has stepped aside as chairman. He appears to be willing to sell his shares or at least some of his shares, albeit not for a price we would deem fit and fair but what's the realistic end game here is is it moving the shares along to Satori and others or is it is someone going to come along with this mystic 35 million or whatever it is and buy it I mean where, where do you see this going
4: well I think just touching on that figure there is people certainly a lot more qualified but may have come out and done estimated values and said look they are not worth that amount taking even everything into consideration the stadium the academy and everything that goes with it that Sunderland is a league one club and not worth £35 million because the championship team's getting sold for a pound. Um, Obviously there was some dodgy dealings around that but you know if you could move into the championship buy a team for a pound then that's going to be an awful lot better than taking over a team like Sunderland with the massive overheads and the infrastructure and everything that comes with it in place because we are a very very expensive outfit to run. Realistically speaking I- you know, I don't think Stewart Donald, or at least this particular regime, is going to be going anywhere anytime soon. So I think, obviously, in terms of some of the rumours that are coming out in respect of, say, one Satori, it's interesting because, obviously, it was mentioned, you know, many moons back that we might be somewhat reliant on his money or his connections if we're ever getting the championship. But I think now we're in such a desperate place that we are perhaps trying to lean on him a little bit. Which again is even more interesting because you know we've never seen him around. There was comments made at the start of last season that you know he was going to be shown to make much more appearances around the stadium of light uh, throughout the course of the season, and, and obviously his political career sort of took centre stage. And you know at best maybe what once or twice at the start of the season, but he then became basically like a like a ghost. Really, we'd never heard from him. We'd never seen anything from him. All of the times he'd see any updates on his social media, it never seemed like it was directly from him. It seemed like maybe it was somebody running the account on his behalf. I think just kind of touching on one of the points what was made, you know, would fans be accepting if if things kind of changed or things shuffled around? I think as the nature of football is, and this is not Sunderland fans, you know, that I'm singling out here, this is everybody. If your team starts winning games, you know, problems that are right there now visible for everyone at the forefront will go to the back of their minds. People will not dwell on some of the mistakes, things like that, Have uh, that, that have gone by. I, I remember in particular when we went on that run after Christmas, there was an awful lot of kind of tweets that would then come out and say, well, oh, you know, Donald in all of a sudden this, that, and the other. So it, it changes people's perceptions of what was going on and people just want to see a winning side. Just touching on the original question about whether things take us forward or take us backwards, at this point, I don't think really regardless of who it is, whoever takes over or whoever shuffles the deck and comes in as the largest shareholder, I don't necessarily think this is about money. And of course, obviously, anybody who has, you know, a, a fair wad to support them really and uh, you know invest in, in obviously the club's long term structure we've had Ella he is obviously a billionaire and it didn't work out there what we need here is somebody who essentially is going to give us the assurances that they're going to put decision makers in all of the right places and that they are going to lay foundations to at least make us a success because I think things that have, we've seen over the course of the past say two years or so since you know Stuart Donald and Charlie Methven took charge they've just kicked problems down the road on the hope perhaps that they weren't going to be around to deal with this. So in terms of where I think we will be, I think we're gonna be stuck with the regime that we've got now for for a little while. I think no matter how much you huff and you puff, as we've seen throughout the course of other football clubs and obviously our friends up the road, no matter how many times you scream and shout, you've still got to try and get somebody to come along and buy your football club. And 35 million pounds at the moment is just not a viable price for us. It's just not a true valuation of of what we are I mean potentially in the long run of course that there is everything there that we could return to the top flight and everything is set in place we've got all the solid foundations but for the moment at least I still think that we'll have Stuart Donald in the background is obviously the majority shareholder i think jim rodwell will continue to run the show i have my own suspicions that charlie Methven may make a reappearance and the only reason to make that claim obviously, is obviously because i know that he's friends with jim rodwell so it wouldn't surprise me that he uh, re-emerges on the scene but at the moment at least i don't think anything's going to change
2: mm. i want to just add something in here actually because you, you've touched on it there that we could say the reemergence of charlie Methven. And it's been rather interesting, hasn't it, the the kind of shift away from the Eastleigh gang, I guess, with Stuart Donald stepping aside, I believe, and this may be breaking news, but whatever. Neil Fox is about to leave, or will leave soon. Got Corton and Hill, which who have also gone to the, on the recruitment side, have changed. So obviously, that, that core group, I guess, who day-to-day were heavily involved in the run of the club, they're now gone. It, it, it's strange, isn't it? This is a model which is changing um, not only the club on the pitch, but off the pitch. And I guess that is intriguing, in a sense, for all that we want rid of, or we wanted rid of this this ownership. It, as far as not selling the club, but changing absolutely everything goes by the people at the top, this, this is about as close as you're going to get. Tom, are you in favour of this sort of approach, I guess I was going to ask you? You touched on it before, the move towards a, a stronger recruitment model, using more data, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, is this pleasing news that we've went away from the the old style of you know the the flat cap football I guess judging players on on you you know your gut instinct and stuff moving towards a, a stronger model under people who are already at the club maybe the likes of Dave Jones being more involved
1: it's hard isn't it it's hard to try and gauge whether this is going to actually be for the best or not I think honestly, like Alex touched on it a little bit. A massive problem we've had is like we've been unable to actually judge what progress has been made because we haven't had anything to gauge the progress against. We never had a plan to actually go against. And we get told every now and then from snippets of interviews, whether it's Charlie Methwin or Stuart Donald, that there is a plan. But we never knew what it was. And I think one thing that would really help Sunderland fans to actually judge success is to install somebody alongside uh, Jim Rodwell as almost like a sporting director. So Rodwell as the chief exec would look after the business ops and then you'd have this sporting guy who would liaise with with the coaching side of things, and the sports scientists and the recruitment team, whoever comes in and looks after that, and they all work harmoniously as like a as a group and they're all on the same page they know the style of football they understand the the method methodology they're all adopting they understand the kind of players they need the kind of coaching techniques they need to to uh, embrace that's what we need i think if somebody comes in and we see some like a new recruitment team and we see like a a head of sports or a sporting director that would be for me like a step in the right direction and i would feel like a sense of oh this does look like a, a shift in in The right direction. Right now, though, you're right. It is just whispers, and it's it's like trying to look through the smoke and make a guess, basically, as to what's going on. It almost feels like there's been some like silent coup behind the scenes, and all of the Eastley lot have been cleared out, and there's just this weird vacant shell left with Jim Rodwell running it. So you don't know what's gone on, really. It's it's really odd looking at it from the outside in. But what I do hope and what has to happen is Sunderland have to use this opportunity to modernise... And, you know, embracing data isn't about getting rid of the old scouting methods. You still need people on the ground making, you know, in-person decisions on someone. It's just about finding ways to be different and finding ways to highlight players that are valuable without just relying on word of mouth and people's judgment. And the, the best example is, is Brentford, when they signed Ben Rama, their brilliant sort of Forward effectively. He was playing as a left winger in League Two, and they found him, and they just realised like the amount of shots he takes. If and their data analyst basically realized if we could get this guy to be ten percent or fifteen percent more accurate with the amount of shots he takes versus the championship average, he'd be like an elite striker at this level. And it's just that like simple way of thinking, like using data and solving a complex issue with just being a little bit different and a little bit more intelligent. That's what Sunderland need to embrace is is just thinking outside the box and and trying to get ahead of the curve.
2: Yeah. We will get on to transfers and stuff, but I couldn't actually talk about ownership and takeovers and stuff without mentioning the fiasco of last week and of probably today and whenever people are listening to this because he seems to just be popping up every day. This uh, Wiedo guy, William's Story. I mean, I didn't really want to talk about him, but I, I suppose we can't really get away from it. He's been totally discredited both by people in the motorsport industry who've got to know him and deal with him, um, the local media who've... At the weekend Cited club sources When reporting that he Wasn't actually being Taken seriously Or his bid wasn't Being taken seriously And subsequently actually He's tweeted quite a bit Saying I am serious I still will lodge a bid Blah 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 But whatever Club don't seem to be Taking him seriously um, And the fan base I think I mean me Personally I, I cannot take this guy Seriously I just Everything I read Points to him being An absolute disaster Seems like a total fantasist But I, to be honest I don't actually want to Talk specifically too much About him because It really leads us On to a different topic all together, We've seen in the last couple of days more news emerge on the Wigan Athletic owners who apparently inquired into putting the club into administration before they'd even bought it. What that tells you is that there are people out there who should be nowhere near clubs like Sunderland, like Wigan and if there's an alternative before we actually do move the club into better hands which it appears there is, then it could be worth considering in the short term. But yeah, I wanted to ask you, Craig, actually, the stuff about story and the likes. Pe- people who can talk people into believing every word they say, but everything points to the fact that then that we should be going to know any of them. Should this act as a warning to us all, really, that we can't just be accepting of taking any old Tom, Dick or Harry on board at Sunderland?
4: Yeah, uh, 100%. And just very briefly on story, I know we've had so many kind of tweets come our way over days and look is he going to be on the podcast this something? the other because he said that he would make an appearance at the moment just to summarize who he is because i i don't know an awful lot about him i don't know an awful lot about his motorsport background but it's pretty much as short and sweet as this he is literally a man on twitter who's randomly popped up out of nowhere who said he wants to buy the club He's not got as far as Mark Campbell yet and he pretty much had the keys to the building. Mark Campbell did not get a podcast with us wise men say he didn't really have any interviews with the Sunland Echo or the Chronicle or anything like that. Just touching on about the acceptance of taking anybody in, I think that we were all certainly guilty of rolling the red carpet out for the previous regime because they came in and they hit every single note that we wanted to hear. They said that we're a football club who basically had the the piss-taking party that was going to come to an end. You know, they they literally told us everything we want to hear. They 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 swept us off our feet, telling us that they were going to come in and bring all these players in who going to buy into the football club and we weren't going to be overspending this that and the other and they failed to deliver on that and of course obviously they used our platform i know that they've done bits and bobs with wise men say of course they had the talking at the stadium for light and then so of course we are the example if you like in terms of obviously just letting people in and kind of basically letting them open their mouth and letting the stomach rattle and there was so many times if you like that people really should have been asking somewhat more challenging questions but I think it's important to note that when they first came in you know there wasn't so much information around to basically say that look this is going to be somewhat disastrous because like I said obviously they came in to charm this all they're on an absolute offensive from the offset to try and make sure that they got as many people back in the ground and they got as many people believing in this regime but when things started to go amiss and things started to go well basically wrong uh, it went tits up for such a large period of time that that's when kind of you know people start to look at the bigger picture and that's where people start to fight back but what this particular ownership did is they you know kind of retaliated in such a petulant way by trying to split the fan base and then what you had is basically a massive conflict of people saying well, you can't change your opinion because, you know, you've said X, Y and Z and, you know, you've defended them and you backed them at the hilt and... That really shouldn't be a stick that people beat each other with. I think right now what's most important is, is the fans try to unite again and, and, and come together and, and basically use this example as, as basically how much we've, well basically we've been taken in and because of the position that we're in and because of obviously the spotlight that we've had in terms of the Netflix documentary, we are going to attract a lot of bad people and I'm not necessarily saying William story is a bad person because like I said it's unfair to make a disparaging remark about somebody who I don't know anything about but when you're seeing the, you know, the names like Sammy Yu and people like that linked with the club, you know the direction that it's going to take you because we've seen them do it at previous clubs. So I think whatever happens, the most important thing is, is that, you know, we don't get taken in by people who've been putting tweets up who are just, you know, kind of saying something pro Sunderland and then anti Newcastle and just coming out with bits and bobs that it could have been literally copy and pasted from a Wikipedia entry. We need to be smarter than that. We need uh, to try and not be as, as gullible really. And and like I said, we're we all got fooled bias and thankfully people have come to the realization at different times, of course. But I think right now, in terms of whoever comes in, if something does change You know, whilst of course you've got to give them an opportunity to succeed, it's also very important to, to stand by one another. And if things do go obviously wrong again, then obviously we call it out. Just kind of touching on one thing before you hand over to anybody else. I know in terms of some of the 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 criticism that's been levelled towards the owners and some of the comments. There's been awful lot of times where this has been, say, you know, kind of interpreted as abuse, and just kind of, you know, put my own two pence worth on the matter. We've seen a lot of things on social media where people have, you know, kind of discredited them, and they've said they've made bad mistakes. This, that, and the other. That that itself is not abuse, just because it's on a public platform, it's not abuse. However, we have also seen things where people have been directly sending messages to Stuart Donald on Facebook, and they've been ringing his number. I don't know how they managed to get his mobile number, and it was the same with Charlie Methven, calling them you know, every name under the sun, that itself is abuse. That's that's disgusting. We can't condone that. There's absolutely no place at all in any walk of life for that. And thankfully, it looks like those people have had their stern warnings. So I just want to kind of lay that out there because I know... There's been, like I said, an awful lot of interpretations around this. It is absolutely fine to question something at the football club. If you think that, you know, Phil Parkinson's doing a bad job or if you think he's made a bad substitution or anything like that, provided it's done in a constructive manner, absolutely fine. If you think that, you know, Steve Donald or Charlie Methven's done something wrong, absolutely fine to call it out. But when it's sliding into Facebook messages and, and obviously sending abusive things and then bringing people early in the morning, this, that and the other, um, and making those threats... I'm not necessarily going to say that that is something that is potentially putting off investors and all that claims being made several times. I genuinely don't believe that. But like I said, that's something that certainly can't be condoned at all. No, absolutely. Alex, have you got anything to add on that?
3: Everything that I could really say, I think, has been said. We've just got to be very vigilant with who we are letting into this football club. And I think, again, as Craig says, with regards to William's story, I don't know him personally, I don't know his moral compass. As an individual, I can't make a comment on like whether or not he would be the person to get Sunderland back in the Premier League or would be the kind of person who would get them into administration and then subsequently liquidated. I don't know. Okay, I've not got a crystal ball. I don't know the man. But what I do know is that based on the credentials that have been foregrounded, he seems like he would not be a serious contender for ownership at all in any way. And I think that's been said as much um, from, from reports in the media. So ultimately, you know, I think it does, you know, for rightly or wrongly, William's story stands as an example of how we can't just let anybody put on a Sunderland shirt, say this is a great club, I'm going to buy it, and then see them as a candidate. It shouldn't be as simple as that. You know, in theory, any of us here could do what William's story has done. You know, I could... I could say I'm the CEO of an energy drink brand. I could claim to have loads of money. I could wear my Sunderland shirt outside the stadium and I could say, hey guys, I'm going to buy Sunderland, get behind me, I'm going to go and march straight into their office, slam my money down that doesn't exist and say this club is mine. You know, like I said, this is a thing that anyone could do and because anyone can just do it as casually as that, we need to be very vigilant with who we are sort of getting behind, who we are rallying around. Once again, I'm not about to criticise the fans, but we have to be a lot more vigilant i've seen people be sort of taken in by by um by william stories charm offensive but we have to dig deeper and i think i'm grateful for the local press for digging deeper and sort of revealing what has evidently been revealed about him because you know the club aren't taking the bid seriously from what we've gathered so there should be no reason why the fans should take it seriously and we need to we need to just maybe do a bit of orienteering when these people when these people turn up mm. because as, as mentioned you know any anyone could be a Williams story literally anybody anybody can make the outlandish claims he's made yeah. anybody could say they're going to do this that and the other but ultimately very very few can deliver on those kinds of promises we need to really come up with a criteria of what we want from an owner as a fan base i'm not saying that we all need to come around in a meeting and like draw up something in like a corporate environment i just mean that we need to get a sense of what we're expecting what we're going to need i think is as a given you need someone with reasonably deep pockets deep enough to invest for what would be a team to get promoted out of league one and also someone who has you know obvious credibility legitimate money deep enough pockets from which that money will lie and someone who wants to set up an infrastructure and is clearly doing it with realism and with a very sort of feet on the ground salt of the earth intention in mind because we just need we just need someone very normal and but we need someone very normal but also with a lot of money i don't know yeah again it's it's not something that i can really sort of come up with off the, off the top of my head but i'm sure where i'm saying where and while maybe they aren't forming a sentence that's perfectly cohesive you probably know what I'm getting
2: at yeah I'm conscious of um, talking too much about William's story Tom but uh, have you got anything to add on him and and of course what Craig had to say about uh, abuse and, and so on have you got anything
1: to add on that really simple I think Really, with with any perspective owner, any sort of fan outlet, media outlet, local outlet, they're got to do a little bit of digging on these people. But I really don't think we should entertain anything serious with these people unless we know that they're in the data room or the club confirmed that they're actually in talks with them. And the club haven't confirmed they're in talks really with anybody or in a period of, of exclusivity with a, a specific company. So why entertain anybody's claims with no evidence to back it up you know if they can't turn around and say i'm I'm actually doing this then why entertain it like alex said any of us could drum up enough interest and say we're the people doing it doesn't mean we should get an interview that simple absolutely yeah Uh, right okay transfers so i mean
2: we haven't really signed anybody (laughs) since last time we chatted i think that's one thing that's slightly worrying with the season only, what, three weeks away? We're, we're not seeing anybody else coming through the door. Obviously, the introduction of the salary cap has made it harder. The The attention of the current recruitment staff will have changed slightly. But the most recent rumours do suggest we're close to signing a handful of players. We've got apparently a handful of um, free agents currently trialling with the club on different dates, etc. etc. And I guess there's more pre-season games. Behind closed doors begin to occur Then you know, there might be some final decisions To be made But yeah SFC asks What do you think of the recruitment so far We've made a promising start But then the lack of foresight In bringing more players in Before the salary cap will hurt us I don't have faith in Parkinson Getting the best out of the squad either I was actually going to touch on Parkinson Craig earlier Because we've talked quite a bit about Changing direction at Sunland. In particular with regards to recruitment But you've got to think On the pitch as well Everything needs to be geared The same way But Phil Partinson Does he fit in If things do change? I mean Things have to change Because of the salary cap I guess Is, is he a manager Who can adapt to any situation Do you think?
4: Uh, no <laughs> But I don't think That he's got much choice To be honest <laughs> with you Because I think Realistically speaking, Phil Parkinson is probably also going to be here for the long run as well. Um, I mean, I've made comments hundreds of times now that Phil Parkinson ideally would not be my number one choice. Uh, to be Sunderland manager, if there was an opportunity to have replaced him with somebody a little bit better in the summer, then I think we all would have took that opportunity. But for the moment, at least, you know, Phil Parkinson's going to go into the season as our manager. And by all means, I certainly hope that he proves me wrong. Um, I think in truth, in terms of everything that we've seen from him, you know, he does seem stuck in his ways, which for the large part really is not proved very successful here. It's It's been very hit and miss, hasn't it? We got off to a bit mm. of a terrible start and then, you know, as we gradually began to turn things around... He struck gold with a winning formula and even though we weren't playing great in some of those games, we had enough basically to, to get over the line and, and beat some of the teams. But what happened, I, I thought in particular, was... is. You know the wheels really began to fall off at the wrong time because the team looked absolutely burnt out. We were calling for changes as a fan base, and we're seeing it all on social media to say, right, freshen things up. He didn't really do that. He kept his his faith in his starting eleven, which you know is, is fair enough. But I think obviously for the length of the season that that you have, um, certainly at this level with your EFL Trophy and your EFA FA Cup games and everything that comes with it, you do need uh, to obviously have quite a bit of depth. To play with so one thing I would certainly hope over the course of, of obviously the past few weeks of the pre season training so far is I hope that enough people in terms of some of these young lads are doing enough to stake a claim, uh, to, to basically get themselves involved. So if it is the case, for example, that someone is not fully match fit, that he is going to have enough confidence to put them in without any concerns or without any worries. In terms of the recruitment so far, yeah, I mean, last time I was on here a couple of weeks back, I made comments to say I think it was a pretty good start to the window in terms of bringing in Bailey Wright. I think he is pretty much one of the best, if not the best defender in the division. And obviously Aidan O'Brien comes in and granted although we don't know an awful lot about him the reviews certainly are more favourable than anything else but um, my concern is for the moment is it seems like every other team around us as per obviously even you know being a couple of games ahead of us uh, already is they, they also look to be doing some pretty good business I mean even looking at say teams down the ladder who you don't expect to compete you look at say Gillingham they've been making some pretty shrewd acquisitions as well they brought in Kyle Dempsey earlier from Fleetwood and you think you know it's pretty much one of the mid, sort of types of midfielders that we uh, crying out for i think in terms of the salary cap um obviously by the by the time it came in there was a few rumors during the rounds to say that we'll try and at least get a couple of bodies in i actually think it's a positive that we didn't get buddies in just before that cut off and the reason why is because the players that were linked with at the time uh, i'll use danny Grimm for, a, for an example it, realistically speaking he's probably going to command a wage which is going to be above the amount that we Technically, should be paying, and I think if it was the case that we were to get the bodies in, then that would probably would have been paying slightly over the top, and I think it would have been more desperation. and And as it's already been alluded to on this pod, you're looking at players again who, perhaps, have a reputation of getting out the division and being successful at other football clubs, but you're not really, you know, looking at the bigger picture as to how they're going to fit into your team. As it stands, yeah, obviously there's there's rumours about a few additions who potentially could be coming in over the course of the coming weeks. I am somewhat concerned that you know we're not hearing an awful lot about it but in fairness we didn't hear an awful lot about Aidan O'Brien or Bailey Rice it just went under the radar and the deal was made permanent pretty much quickly so I hope that if we are continuing the same fashion that we are doing our business quiet that we just speed it up a little bit and try and get them bedded in and and get them used to obviously playing because one Mm. thing that tends to set us back every particular window is that you know by the time that these players are getting a bit of involvement is you know so much of the of the season's gone if you look at January for example by the time say Kyle Lafferty got his involvement the season was pretty much already done for us because of the way it was curtailed but I think he proved in this brief spell that he should have had more of an involvement and I think like I said at least the the reassurance that I would like or that I would certainly need at this point is if we can get a few more bodies in certainly sooner rather than later and then hopefully give Phil Parkinson those options And if it is the case that we get injuries or anything like that, which you should expect, of course, um, that we are going to have enough strength and depth to make sure that we're we're going to be able to compete.
2: Yeah, the two names which seem to be most commonly linked at the minute and seem like realistic signings, even though the the salary cap uh, is in place. First one is Dimitri Mitchell. I think it's pretty much confirmed he's been spending time on trial. There was a video, wasn't there, that the club put out Tom about. It was a day of training last week and he looked pretty quick on that. And also Remy Matthews, the former Bolton keeper. I think he was number one there last season in league. One apparently uh, is is a favourite of Parkinson. Somebody who might come in to give Burge a bit of competition. Uh, Collins, nineteen ninety five, asks: Are there any players that seem viable signings given the new information on constraints? I mean, are these two signings you can see us making? And I, I know as well there's been rumours in the last few days Luke Garbutt's going to be coming into the train. Where do you see us going really with the left back situation and the goalkeeping situation?
1: Garbutt's an interesting one because Ipswich signed Stephen Ward, I believe, which yeah, yeah, basically suggests that Garbutt's not going back. I would imagine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not sure how I feel about that because I think Garbutt's a, a fair age. I, I think he's 27.
2: I did, I couldn't actually yeah. believe he's 27 year old. I I thought he was like 23, 24.
1: And and I he's think... been at Everton for yeah. years now. And I think the tough thing that you've got to consider is again going back to this idea of of. Thinking smart is a 27-year-old investment in League One, are we going to be able to turn around at some point and potentially sell Luke Garbutt for several million pounds to a team above us? That's a great point, yeah. And cash in on it and think, oh, that was a really good acquisition. Versus someone like Dimitri Mitchell to compete and potentially even play a little bit ahead of Denver Hume, who comes in for nothing, looks very, very quick, which is something we've really lacked in the team and it's uh it seems like a pretty astute sign in the, in the fact that I mean look I, we're not behind the scenes for all we know that one clip of Mitchell is all that was there and he might be absolutely terrible behind the scenes and they don't want him but yeah we're going on the basis that Mitchell's a decent player Sunderland like the look of him if you compare Garbutt and Mitchell Mitchell's going to command far less in terms of wages and what he wants Garbutt's a lot older. Mitchell, looking at him, if you can harness his talent, develop it, and he has an absolutely outstanding season in League One and you go up, arguably you've got top championship and potentially even lower Premier League sides looking at this talented ex-Man United player with bags of pace, English, young talent. You're going to offer millions of pounds for him? So I think for me... This is where Sunderland need to start being savvy in their recruitment, and I'm not saying Luke Garbutt's a bad signing because he's proven himself at this level. He's a good player. He'd be a decent acquisition, but I'm just saying this is where we need to start looking beyond the the immediacy. Like I say, Garbutt, good signing, will improve the side. But you've also got to look at Hume. I think we need to start. You know, we we need to start playing Hume and developing him too because arguably if he has a breakout season. That's another another talent we've got who's homegrown who isn't going to be costing us an arm and a leg who now has resale value so I, I, don't, I don't know I think it's an interesting one but I think this probably will point us in the in the direction as to which Sunderland are taking in terms of their recruitment uh, go, in terms of goalkeepers I think truthfully keepers at this level are kind of ten a penny. Matthew seems dependable, he's like Burge from last season basically isn't he, he's going to come in, deputise when needed, he seems like he's decent, there was a good interview on the site with a a Bolton fan who said basically he's dependable, He's, he's nothing flash, he's not going to set the world alight, good shot stopper, decent signing, so yeah, both good options for us. I think Mitchell gives us something we've lacked desperately, which is pace. We talked about the side being really one-dimensional. If you can bring Mitchell into the side, even potentially as a left winger, um, and just unleash his pace against against teams, that's something we really, really lacked last season, was the ability to stretch yeah. sides with pace. Um, so for me, I think Mitchell is a, is a really astute investment, if you can get him in on, on, a good, on good terms, because it costs nothing and the upsides are massive. So yeah, I think they're both interesting yeah. Really, really interesting uh, options I'm, I'm with you on that I think Mitchell just makes more sense
2: to me he, Despite, I, I, I can't actually say I've seen a lot of either of them I just think written down That's just a more sensible acquisition And he played the Hearts in the SPL yep. Which is probably a similar standard to, to what we're playing at now And did really well but the main thing for me is that we don't have a, long, a lot of players with pace, do we? And it's like, if we've got somebody who's versatile and left-footed, by the way, yep. we don't have a lot of those either. It makes a lot of sense to me. But I mean, the other side of this, which we haven't actually discussed, is that you would imagine both of them will have championship interest as well. Um, maybe not top championship clubs, but clubs with squads similar to Sunland maybe who are competing at the bottom end would would you would like to think would take a gamble on both of them and are able to offer better wages so there is that to contend with. I will move on to the next point though. At M jacko nineteen eighty nine asked about transfers and said um Partinson wants five players in. I think he said that on the club's official podcast. He mentioned that he wanted five more players. M Jack was asked which players will we sell to bring the five players in? I think he's maybe being a bit facetious with that. But what I wanted to use that as a basis of to ask you, Alex, was Do we even need to sell players? I mean, is there anybody in this squad right now? I know we've talked about it a bit earlier, about needing to become a selling club. But do you see anybody actually leaving for money at this stage? Because I don't, if I'm honest.
3: Yeah, neither do I, Gav, to be honest. I look at our squad and I think we either have players that it's not preferable to want to sell because they are providing us with depth that we otherwise wouldn't have but really i think there's three categories either yeah there's either one there's players that we don't want to sell because we want to keep them obviously two there's players who we couldn't sell because either one we wouldn't get any money for or two the wage is too high such as will grigg and then and then i think i suppose as a final point you've got players who if you were to sell them they wouldn't well i suppose that's that's point 2 really T- terrible terrible inroad for my argument but basically <laughs> our players either we we don't want to sell or if we were to sell them it wouldn't be worthwhile because they wouldn't command decent enough wage so yeah i, I think chances are it's most likely that we are going to be signing players without needing to sell them necessarily. My reasoning being that I think with each year we've been in League One, we're probably spending less and less on wages per player. I'd imagine that in the first season when we came down, we had sufficient parachute payments and perhaps a bit of naivety to splash a lot of money on, say, someone like Glenn Leuvens, who in hindsight was a horrendous investment for all of the reasons we've discussed, all of the whole flat cap archaic style of recruiting. I'd imagine the wages we gave Glenn Leuven's we wouldn't give anybody now, regardless of who they were when they were coming in. So I think we've probably probably scaled down the money that we're expending on players. And for that reason, perhaps we don't need to make much of a deficit when we sign players now, mm-hmm. which maybe if that is the case, you could see as as... A positive, I suppose, something that resembles going in the right direction, which is more than maybe we had when we were signing players like Glenn Leuven's, of course. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I look at the players we were initially touted with signing at the start of the window, when it or rather in the build up to the window opening. Your players like um, that lad from South End, the striker Stephen Humphreys, let's say that he is the like that mold of player is the player that we were targeting. For example, I can't see why you would need to sell players to bring in someone like that. Because surely, if you're a striker playing in what is now a you know top end League Two club, then coming to Sunderland, the opportunity is worth far more than haggling a wage packet. I would imagine that it'd be a lot a lot easier to bring in players of that standard hmm. because they would obviously cost a lot less money. But again, that that is assuming that that is indeed the transfer policy. I mean, players like. Marcus Madison have been touted who I would imagine Danny Graham I'd imagine commanded a far more considerable wage that you know certainly with the wage cap we can't meet. So yeah, I'm not sure but I would imagine that we won't be recruiting while also looking to break the bank again. So no, I think we'll probably will when we do bring in players they won't be on a particularly big on a particularly big weekly wage and for that reason we don't need to sell the players and even if we could sell the players the ones that are worth selling and we could get a profit for we don't want to do that. I mean hmm. Jordan Willis for me strikes me as someone who matches the... This sort of new age, modern style of selling club recruitment, the whole Brentford model thing. He would match that perfectly. I'd imagine we could sell him on for a lot more than we got him for. But, you know, why the hell would he want to do that when he's a very good centre-back that we would most certainly want to get out of League One. So, yeah, we we either can't or won't sell players and we don't need to because I'm sure we have enough money to Mm. get the players we need. I think. I hope.
2: Just to play devil's advocate, Craig, obviously this is a strange time financially for a lot of clubs and maybe championship sides even are going to be looking at players like Willis and thinking he might be worth a little gamble, cost us a lot less than what we'd usually go for. Do you see anybody like that maybe caught in a bit of
4: interest? Yeah, possibly. Um, I think let's be fair really long story short on this is every single player has a value and if somebody comes in and matches that valuation then we will sell it's as simple as that mm. um, realistically speaking you look at people who could potentially cut it out in the championship Jordan Willis as you mentioned maybe doubts over Luke O'Nine I know he was linked with, with yeah, Luton last summer there potentially could be interested interesting for him Lyndon Gooch I think would certainly cut it out in the championship but beyond that you know you're really looking at others and you think who else? Um, mm. Max Power, every time he's been promoted, he hasn't really succeeded at that level. Will Greig also. And then really, the last one that you're looking at is is Aidan McGeady. And like I said, obviously beforehand, I mean, he's going to be commanding such a big wage that, you know, wherever he goes, we're going to have to supplement an awful lot of it. But Realistically speaking, I can only see him spending his final season with the club basically out on loan somewhere else. But i mean yeah like i said if it is the case of somebody comes in with a valuation and the ownership are happy with it as we've seen beforehand i mean was sold out captain on the eve the, of the, the season last last season for, for what quarter of a million pound for george herneyman yeah and and obviously we certainly weren't expecting that you know i refer you back to the podcast i with him he certainly wasn't expecting that as well so it's really purely dependent i think on on the teams above because i think in terms of the teams that were playing alongside the quality of this division as things stand it's it's not great not at all i actually think this is probably going in now going to be one of the weakest seasons in league one in recent years um i know there is a few big names in there but the the strength of the other squads don't really impress me that much but i think like well like you've mentioned really it's it's all going to be dependent now on, on when the championship teams want to do their business because they are still going to hold that advantage that they can basically pick people out of the pond and go right well We'll bring you in. We'll maybe give you a little bit more that you're currently getting in League One, even if it's on a similar length contract, I think, because, you know, the wage differences in and, and obviously the, the respective divisions. So some of these lads, you know, they, they aren't going to have the benefits of, you know, basically ever earning, say, like five, ten grand a week or anything like that. So if an opportunity comes where they can better themselves, they're, they're obviously going to take it as well. So. <sighs> I, I can't see anybody going As things stand um, Because there's there's been no rumours There's been no hints Or no sniffs of any clubs coming in But I mean like I said Just going around the doors with this I think if somebody comes in And they offer a decent amount of money Then then any player who we have Would be offering in absolute heartbeat
2: mm. Right moving on I know you're chomping at the bit To talk about kits Craig So we will get on to that But also Craig I wanted to talk a little bit about What Lewis Morgan said Really I guess Is the place <laughs> to start with it People listening may or may not have seen this Lewis Morgan, who obviously played for Sunderland during the 2018-19 season on loan from Celtic, did a, an interview with Open Goal with Cy Ferry, a former Celtic player. And in the interview, Morgan discussed his time at Sunderland pretty honestly. I would rather read what he had to say before we get into it. He was asked about Sunderland. He said they are a massive club. But when I was there, you could tell not from the management of the playing side, but the club was a bit of a shambles, to be honest, which was the line I led with on the news that we ran on the site. It just didn't have a good feel about it. When you were there, it was quite negative. The dressing room wasn't negative, but there were groups. So it was a hard team to settle in and play well in. It just wasn't really a good fit. Then he went on to talk about Aidan McGeady quite a bit. Quite obviously looked up to him and had a bit, had quite a lot of respect for him. He talked about how McGeady slaughtered the players after they failed to beat Burton Albion and said you just can't play in front of that. Burton Albion Wednesday night, one each. You'll never play at a higher level. He then said that McGeady would single someone out and everyone was scared of him. So, yeah, kind of correlates with what we heard about McGeady from basically all the since he left the club uh, on loan last season. Talks about how McGeady was the best player at the club, but specifically goes into stuff on cliques in the squad. He said they would never even have the conversations with each other. I think it was one of the main problems at Sunderland. Boys just didn't speak to each other. It was just wee groups of three. Obviously, Geeds knows Chris McGuire and Adam Matthews. They got on really well, but outside of that, it was just groups. He then went on to talk about the club's owners, which is a new one. I don't think many of the players who've been at the club under this ownership have actually spoken much about them. He goes on to talk specifically about Charlie Methven. He says, I met Charlie Methven after I signed him. To be honest, they didn't know the first thing about football, either of them. It's just two businessmen running a football club. Their expectations for the squad that they assembled were just totally unrealistic and I think if they had left Jack Ross in charge, they'd probably be in the championship now. He'd have turned them around like he turned St Mirren around. The club was just weird when I was down there. It wasn't the best place to be, the owners and all that. He, referring to Methven wanted it to be all about himself, all the time. He didn't know anything about football from what I had spoken to him. Before Wembley, he'd been speaking to us and trying to help us and give us insight into how we were going to win. And I'm just like, you've never kicked a ball in your life. Do 10 keep ups and then speak to us. Um, it goes on again to talk about Aidan McGeady before the, the play-off final. And quite interestingly, I mean kind of glosses over the fact McGeady was actually injured in the run-up to the game and talks about how McGeady yeah. had been dropped from the team on the day. Well, he wasn't really. But he does talk about how his head wasn't in the game because he was out of the team, which um, on Twitter today, as as of recording, Stephen Elliott, former Sunderland striker, had a bit to say. Spoke about how it's you know pretty embarrassing how a, a young lad couldn't get himself for a massive game like that for a club like Sunderland. Just a lot to take in there, really, Craig, but I don't know what's your immediate thoughts having read or heard what Morgan had to say in that particular interview?
4: It was a pretty explosive one, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'll go on record to say that. We've tried to get him on the podcast before. It looked that it was going to go ahead, and for for some reasons it just never materialised. So I I was quite interested to hear what he had to say. I think the only thing that I really agree with him on is in respect of his comments on charlie methvin and perhaps the ownership because i think and this is not a you know stick to beat the owners with but it did seem that by watching the documentary that their involvement around the squad was perhaps more of a hindrance than a help and you would often think that they should have kept the distance again i think the expectations on the squad was perhaps somewhat unrealistic and i know you hear an awful lot about when people say we had the best squad the best team in the league and and stuff like that but i think if you look at say some of the individual signings were made with I mean, we've done this, you know, to death now, but I I would say at least fifty percent of those sign ins just never worked out. Mm. But there was an awful lot of revisionism, as you've alluded to, from his partner. I think the first thing really that I wanted to address about Lewis Morgan, and this this wasn't actually on the the Sunderland section of the interview, it was actually right at the start. He stated that he lived like a teetotal lifestyle. And what I'd be curious to know is what other habits that he indulges in away from the pitch. Because when we watched him at Sunderland, and if you've watched any of the recent MLS games, I mean, he had the stamina and endurance of like a cart horse. I mean, he was absolutely (laughs) dead on his feet after an hour. And if you look at, say, like Steve Marbron, who was... You know, rumoured to be say smoking forty tabs a day. I'd back him to, to outrun Lewis Morgan. Uh, I think the, the annoyance about the the lad is obviously clearly has some talent, and you know he, he sat there and you know he he talked a good game, but it really does speak volumes that after he left Celtic, the only team interested in signing him are a newly formed MLS team who are literally no more than ten minutes old and they've lost every single game in their history so far. <laughs> So I would say, you know, whilst he's happy to stick the boot in to, to pretty much everybody there, it's it's probably in his own interest that he looks a little closer to home and addresses his own shortcomings before trying to be an arsehole about others. Mm. But just if we are to, say, quickly work through what he said, I mean, he mentioned about clicks in the dressing room. That, that, that's no surprise, really. Let's be fair, there's clicks in every single workplace that you will ever be at, regardless of whether that's a football club or, or wherever. It's how they're dealt with and how they're managed that truly matters. And it's interesting because... As soon as Aidan McGeady is mentioned, you know, the, he's, he's held on such a pedestal by them both and he speaks so highly about him and, you know, perhaps he was egged on a little bit by Cy Ferry here he, because he was saying, I love a McGeady story, but it was a bit weird and contradictory at parts because he mentioned that it was hard for him to settle, but, and McGeady wouldn't say speak with anyone besides McGa- uh, McGuire and Matthews, but on the other hand, he said that McGee was, you know, really good for the Scottish lad, so I was thinking, which one is it? <laughs> and then when he mentioned about, like, the negativity in the dressing room and how... You know that maybe contributed to to him not playing well i I just felt that was a lazy excuse. The way I look at it is this lad really is responsible for his own performances, and the reality is he just never turned up. We were promised like an explosive winger with a bit of trickery about him and what we essentially got was was nothing like that in product really he was an uninterested player with poor decision making and, and a poor final ball at best and, and what I think he played seventeen league games for us, and it's reasonable to suggest that that is sufficient time to make an impact and Obviously, touching on those playoffs comments that you made as well, saying that you couldn't be asked to, to train or warm up properly for what no doubt is the biggest game of your career, it's it's really tragic to hear that from such like a young lad. Mm. And it's interesting that we, we can refer back to the George Honeyman pod that we have done a few months ago now, where he couldn't quite, say, explain or put his finger on why the team didn't really turn up and why there just seemed to be a bit of like of an, an apathy in the squad and why, you know, we will just never get going. But we, we know really now is because... Obviously, there was an element of the squad that quite clearly just couldn't be bothered. Yeah. And as for his you know, smug little grin when mentioned Catamore missing that penalty at Wembley, I, that really you know kind of set the tone for it. And and I just thought it was really just an unnecessary comment that you know they wanted to have a laugh basically at silly Catamore's expense. But just revisiting the love for McGeady, I mean, look, I think whilst we all accept that he is obviously a very talented player, and he's still arguably probably one of the best players we have. But he's not worth having anywhere near the squad if he's as disruptive in the dressing room and that everyone was scared of him as lewis morgan claims i mean the comment he made that you've got to let him do what he wants it's stupid he's not the captain he certainly wasn't one of the hardest workers on the pitch and you know although at times he was a game changer because he could carve something special out of nothing he was really more often than not a luxury that sometimes we just couldn't afford because you know if he couldn't track back and help out his fullback then essentially you're playing with like 10 men and I've seen comments online about people saying, you know, about accepting standards and how McGeady should be applauded for not accepting mediocrity. He shouldn't be the one standing up addressing that in the dressing room, I feel. And whilst I've gone on records a lot of times saying, you know, how I was a big fan of Jack Ross, I don't believe he should have been sacked. Now, I kind of echo of Lewis Morgan's claim here to say that if he remained in charge, I still feel he would have got us promoters you know, he's really got to deal with that better. I think the comment was, Ross would always know when to say, you know, you've had your say, but he should have pulled him immediately. Jack Ross has to be the one setting those standards and saying that the performance wasn't good enough. And I think it's indefensible allowing Aidan McGeady free reign to do whatever he wants because in all honesty, he hadn't earned that right to basically do anything like that. And again, he should be looking a little closer to home and querying why his career has been on the slide for so long, because he's had, you know, a really poor spell at Sheffield Wednesday, followed by the briefest of upturns in form at Preston. And yet they chose not to sign him. And, you you know, we know the root cause of that now is because even at Preston, we we had it confirmed that he, he wasn't very well liked in the dressing room. And it seems it's a case of history repeating itself here. And I mean, mm. just having a go at Luke 09 as well for, like, the small things. I mean, reading books because, you know, there's a competitiveness that Aiden McGeady wants to be smarter or something like that. I mean, that's a bloke in his mid-30s. And you wonder how desperate do you have to be trying to bully a young lad because he's, say, so studying or reading? Mm. And what really kind of grinded my gaze a little bit was Lewis Morgan trying to be clever, saying Luke nine's the type who's all over this documentary and playing up the fans. And, and I think that's absolute rubbish. By all means... In terms of Luke 09, you know, he, he certainly doesn't set the world alight. He's, he's not the most talented of footballers that we have or that we'll ever have. But by God, he's an asset of Sunderland Football Club. And in terms of young fans or, or anyone like that, they can look up to him because he's a role model that represents this club to the very highest of standards. And then if you look at, say, other players in recent years and, and even as short as, as recent times, to say, Aidan McGeady. I mean, they're certainly lowering the tone here and, and, and embarrassing us if basically they're doing that sort of behaviour. So I, I think it's just inexcusable, really, that the whole thing turned into, uh, you know, kind of just a, a laugh at our expense. Hmm. And I think the final part I would say is, as for Cy Ferry, you know, his his comments about Luke 09 saying that he won a raffle again in the Sunderland side. He's had a, like a lot of distasteful stuff to say about him since that documentary aired. I'll, I'll tend to listen to Open Goal every time they put a pod out in the weekly pod, whether it's an interview. And Paul Slane and Kevin Kyler being the exact same. They've, they've always liked to stick the boot in saying, you know, he's too happy this, that, and the other. He's quite sickly. But I think it's reasonable. to suggest that if the three of them actually applied themselves during their respective careers as much as Luke 09 has, then maybe they'd be remembered for actually playing football rather than talking about careers of others. I just think the three of them collectively are bang out of order for endorsing that level of shit to be thrown at someone like Luke 09 and find it funny. Lewis Morgan chirping in with his cheeky little grin and find it all funny throughout because it's... I just find it cringeworthy. And I think Lewis Morgan's really just kind of shown a side now where you just think what on earth are we doing signing short-term players or bringing loan players in when quite clearly they just could not give a shit and that we were just a meal ticket for the best part of five months. Mm. So it's, it's disappointing. It's not unexpected because we've been here multiple times before. But yeah, he's certainly gone down on my estimations.
2: Yeah, I think it makes me think twice now about loan players specifically. But maybe this is a... A good chance to reflect on the decision made by Phil Parkinson to actually get rid of McGeady because pretty early on he he obviously recognised that he was a problem in the dressing room, got rid of him and I think whilst he's a fantastic player, no, no player is worth risking the morale of the squad so oh, yeah, yeah I mean the problem we've got now is we've got to try and get rid of him again but I would like to think we're going to stand firm on that and the, regardless of whether anybody wants McGeady for next season Sunderland have to try and you know look past him and, and move on like we did when he got rid of him the latter part of last season
4: yeah I think if we had this conversation maybe like last week I, I would have entertained the idea of Aiden McGeady potentially coming back because when these rumours done the rounds to say that he was bullying you know, kind of players this and the other. It was it was all really speculation at that point. There was nothing that came out from a player or anything directly. And I think the fact that they had him training with, obviously, say, like the 23s and even the younger squads, for me, it poked a hole in that argument. I I would always say, so if he's, you know, allegedly bullying younger players in the dressing room, why on earth would you have him anywhere near younger players? But the fact that he's, you know, now had players go out on record and obviously say that that's the level of his behaviour. You know, I'd be absolutely amazed if you see Aidan McGeady set foot anywhere near the stadium light again, certainly not in the Southern Shirt. I think his days are numbered here. And like I said, from my own personal opinion, regardless of how talented he is, it's like you said, you cannot simply risk upsetting the morale and in and the atmosphere and, and everything else that goes with it just to try and accommodate him. Because at this stage, what, 35-year-old, maybe the final year or so of his career, he's not going to have the heart or the desire to put in a shift anymore. I, I think he's finished here now. Hmm.
2: So, yeah, as of recording... Uh I don't believe the away kit's been officially announced, although a picture did leak on social media um of I think Aidan O'Brien um standing pitch side in it and it was a navy blue uniform with a white knight logo and sponsor logo, a red collar, red shorts and presumably navy socks, otherwise it would look a bit weird. To be honest, me, I'm not particularly bothered about a kit. I yeah, it looks okay, that's about it. But the home top, it went on sale last week. Um and you you actually had an interesting experience, didn't you, with the junior kit, which um cause a bit of a stir on twitter it transpired that it's actually manufactured ooh, ooh, by ooh. Uh, a company called AVEC, which some might some people might remember they made some actually quite nice strips in the 90s for us um but the quality of it wasn't great david patterson on twitter has asked uh, about it and, and and the the new kit arrangement and what the deal actually is because i don't think anybody actually realized until around the time it was released that AVEC were even making kits for us um just tell the listeners a little bit about your experience and, and what you know.
4: Yeah, so uh, long story short, the club have done like baby and infant kits now for a number of years from children, for, uh, ranging anywhere from newborn up to, to five-year-old. And what you usually get is like a shirt, shorts, socks combination for usually about 40 quid. Um, It's a pretty reasonable price, really. And they have looked really smart in recent years, especially without like the gambling logo across the chest. So they are pretty timeless um, that you could pretty much just use any season. Uh, But this season is part of our new kit deal. The infant kits are produced by Iavec and the junior and adult kits are night kits. The reason behind this is, long story short, our kit deal is not directly with Nike. It's actually through a company called Just Sport. Uh, They are a partner or affiliate, if you like, of Nike. um, And who they are and what they do is they're responsible for managing the supply and distribution of Nike's teamwear range which is part of Sunderland's arrangement so what we do long story short and in the most simplistic of terms is we go directly to just sport we have a look through the brochure and we order the kits we want and if it is the case that we want any sort of personalization that we can then say pass off as bespoke as you'll notice with say how we're the lads on the inside of the collars then they'll do that basically for us so, Nike will then so send the logo to just sport, and they're going to be dealing with like the embroidery, the heat transfer, and any personalization of badges and logos. Uh, Sunderland aren't alone in this particular arrangement. Portsmouth and Preston have the same deal, as does uh, a lot of other lower league teams. And that is basically who it is designed for, really, because Nike at the moment, and their sort of target, if you like, is they only deal now directly with elite clubs. So your Liverpool's, your Spurs, Chelsea, etc. And if you have a look at their respective club shops, they will have the infant, junior and, and adult kits. They are all done by Nike. Uh, so as for our new EVEC kits, I mean, in all honesty, as you know, we've kind of mentioned a few times now, and uh, it's been done to death on social media, they're, they're absolutely horrendous. Priced at 25 quid, and what you get is a shirt with the AVEC logo. Uh, there's no Nike logo, and the shorts that you get is basically it's a blank pair of shorts to go with. It seems that the great annual savings logo across the chest is creased, and yeah, they're they're just not great quality. Uh, The cracks all around the lettering, um, and you'd honestly see something better on a market abroad for for certainly a lot less money. And it's a shame, really, because a lot of people on the launch of a new kit like to make a bit of a big deal out of it. And I mean, I kid you not, when this one arrived in the post, my three-year-old flat out refused to wear it. So eventually I just had to return it because even if it was the case that you wanted to put it on the quality is that bad you just want to, wouldn't want them to wear it out of the house you know while some people have obviously said it's not a big issue I, I disagree um, and it's not mourning for mourning's sake but I think it's poor really that AVEC have provided a kit for the next generation of fans that, that looks like a complete and utter knockoff. and again it's the case that the kids are going to look so different from the parents and they perhaps question why they, they don't have the same and I honestly can't emphasise enough just how poor the quality is which is mad considering when AVEC produced our kits in the 90s some of the the shirts that they actually made for us were absolutely excellent. And I suppose that's why if you you look at companies like ScoreDraw, I mean, they're successful now because they literally make retro versions of those kits that were so successful in the past. So it's it's a little bewildering as to why we can't, again, have something of at least a half decent quality. And I think one of the biggest things I find baffling around the kit launch it's been the promotion. You know, we tease the shirt, we tell the fans then they've gotta wait three or four days before ordering. So why not allow fans just to place orders immediately? Ready for dispatch to say the following week with a pre-order option? And it just seems at times, even the simplest of things, that we just can't get right. So you look at it and you think the club are crying out, saying we're losing revenue hand over fist. Well, here's an opportunity to cash in. Sullivan fans treat the launch of a kitten as an event where, you know, they'll go and get the entire family kitted out, and yet the club shop remains closed. And this, despite basically all non essential shops reopening in the middle of June, there's no comment from anyone at the club or the Red and White Army or, or any of the SLOs or anything like that as to why the club shop still remains closed. If you walk past it, it's like a ghost town. I May mean, a I kiddie not for anybody who hasn't walked past recently they still have the adidas logo across the front and you got to bear in mind they haven't been our kit manufacturers now for around three months the arrangement with the club shop i think really does need addressing somebody needs to come out and speak about us i mean the government's furlough scheme is due to end in october and are we really going to run down the days and then bring the staff back in then i think whilst i like everybody else still remains cautious and vigilant about you know what's going on with obviously the coronavirus and i think it's important that that people still remain here vigilant um I think we could very, very easily reopen the club shop now with social distancing measures in place. Or even alternatively, the that matchday container that you tend to see that's that's in the fan zone that sells shirts or, or other merchandise, you wonder where that is because that's nowhere to be seen around the ground now. And you think, could we not park that up again, sell shirts outside the ground, maybe park it in the town somewhere? Or And again, I just, just find it a little bit daft that here we are talking about losing money and there's a massive opportunity to generate from a revenue stream that you know is successful but again we just refuse to do it and I think like most my only assumption is is that they're happy to keep staff basically away um, without topping up the wage because we know that they're getting covered by the furlough scheme and put everything through um, through online and sell everything with the extortionate DPD postage prices but it really is poor sales and market and I think at some point the club are going to have to come out and, and address what's going on because I mean we're only three weeks away from the season now so surely if the ground is going to be open perhaps for fans maybe a few weeks after that you would half expect that they would try doing things on a much smaller scale and at least ensure that staff are perhaps prepared by at least you know kind of facilitating the the opening of the club shop and and bringing staff in to to allow that allow people come in social distancing and and at least make sure that everybody's is prepared obviously for for when we can be allowed back into the ground but i don't know it's strange but i I think the club need to address it a little bit better
2: it would be nice to get some sort of answer actually out the club maybe via um red White army or the blc just on the club shop and why they've been so slow to reopen cuz there will
4: be reasons it should be open now i don't think there's mm. any excuse
1: they should have took it on the road you know like yeah, <laughs> yeah all, if all the seafront's open you know i remember when i was younger that you know that they've got a, a fleet of vehicles take a bunch of them to the seafront it's rammed during the, the nice weather sell get you down there like this is like, you know, when we talk about analytical thinking, that's all it is, is using smart data and decisions to, to solve complex problems. If the complex problem is you need to make money during a difficult time and you can't open your club shop, go and sell stuff elsewhere. If everybody's outdoors, absolutely, go, go where yeah, they are.
3: Literally relocate your club shop. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it I don't think really it's a complex problem at all. I think really, I don't know, get a nice big heat map of Seaburn, where do the people congregate? Yeah. Oh, they like the like standard next to Seldon's let's put the little pop stand there right. I don't know mm. I mean you know again I can only speculate so much not being a particularly business savvy person myself but I mean why not find a way to make money I, I don't know I mean you know you've, you've released all this gear have some you know physical store open to generate commercial revenue is it is that not what you're meant to do is that mm. not what? That, is that not why that arm of the club exists I think they
4: should employ you lot you've got it all worked out well, I mean, even we had the pop up <laughs> shop at the airport a few years back, didn't we? Just something as small as that. If it's the case, yeah. I mean, like I said, if you walk in the bridges now, you know, obviously there there is you know safety provisions put in place everybody has to wear masks everybody's got to keep it a distance but you know shops are are gradually opening and, and that's not to, you know basically say that everything's right out there because we know it's absolutely not i think they would have shifted an absolute shitload of kits if they had that um, if they had that club shop open but again like i said that's just somebody from the northeast and of course we don't have any business knowledge being based up here maybe if i was you know born with a silver spoon in my mouth and i went to some private educated place down south and i would have been able to deal with this a lot better but so be it
2: yeah good place to round off lads i think we've got quite a lot of questions actually about season predictions and stuff but i think maybe there's a there's a time and a place for that and it's not right now so we'll end there but thanks everyone for for joining us we've covered off quite a lot hopefully we've got your questions answered sorry to jack liam and cameron we we aren't going to cover off the stuff on the season ending but uh yeah thank you very much for joining us lads it's been a pleasure i'm sure you're all knackered and ready for bed like i am please i want to go go to sleep gav i'm tired gavin i want to go to bed just do it now mate just 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 put your head in the pillow and go to sleep all right that's what i'm doing (laughs) uh yeah subscribe on itunes acast spotify youtube everywhere else that you get your podcasts and we will catch you down the road